homily for the 14th Sunday in Ordinary Time, July 4th, 2021, St. Mary's Church, Grand Forks. There are two priests in the Diocese of Bismarck whom I know very well that have recently served as pastors in their hometown parishes. It surprised me at the time that Bishop Kagan had chosen to assign them there, and I don't know all the details of how that came about. I remember thinking that Bishop must not take too literally what Jesus had to say in today's Gospel. A prophet is not without honor except in his native place. It wasn't supposed to be this way. The return of Jesus to his hometown of Nazareth the place that nurtured and sheltered him for so many years, was supposed to have a triumphant, if not at least celebratory, feel. By this time, most of the people of Nazareth would have heard stories about the wondrous things Jesus had been saying and doing in other places. These reports should have only added to the fanfare. But life does not always unfold as we expect. Where was the ticker tape parade? down Main Street? Where were the rousing choruses of, for he's a jolly good fellow? We saw and heard none of that. What we have instead is, for me anyway, one of the most perplexing accounts in all of Scripture, a reception of the Lord Jesus that ranged from lukewarm to even hostile. One might have expected St. Mark to leave out this story about Nazareth and to gloss over this episode when people familiar with Jesus from his childhood rejected him. While that would spare us a little bit of discouragement, doing so would have deprived us of the greater message, the moral of the story, if you will. No, this passage opens up to us a mystery. Why did the Father permit this to happen to his beloved Son? Why would he tolerate what appears to be a failure? What is the meaning of the word success in the context of Jesus' ministry? The reason why Jesus returned to Nazareth carries a tone of sadness is that we think he deserved better treatment than he received. After all, who deserved it more than the Son of God? Time after time, we hear of Jesus healing people from illness or disability with virtually no exerting a physical effort. Time after time, large crowds assembled to listen to what Jesus had to say, and because he touched the depths of their hearts, they pleaded with him to stay with them. But the reception that the people of Nazareth gave him is quite different. Their questions had nothing to do with the content of the gospel, as would later happen in his face-offs with the Pharisees and scribes. Rather, they questioned the authority Jesus employed. Where did he get all this? We've known Mary and Joseph their whole lives. Who does he think he is? Jesus knew exactly who he was and would not change his stripes for those of his hometown or any other town. What is success for Jesus? Let's consider this carefully. Is it immediate, tangible results? Is it instant and euphoria? Later this summer, we will hear about Jesus' multiplication of the loaves and fishes. In John's Gospel, some of the crowd, having seen the miracle and having been fed, spontaneously hatched a plot to carry the Lord away 
and proclaim him king. But he avoided this and slipped away to pray in solitude. In that same chapter, when teaching the people of Capernaum about the gift of his body and blood and the Eucharist, many of the listeners turned away and refused to believe in him. Instead of frantically chasing after them to repair the damage, he turned to his disciples and asked them if they wanted to stay or go. They had to make their choice, too. What is success for Jesus? It has a whole lot more to do with faithfulness than any external criteria. Jesus desires nothing more than to carry out the will of his Father at all times. And this is what his example taught us. Remember his instructions upon sending out the disciples two by two to surrounding villages. What if the townspeople of a certain place decided not to openly receive them? Did Jesus give them a plan B that involved reworking their mission statement? And even if he had, would that alone bring them around and yield a different result? What Jesus told them to do was to shake the dust of the city streets off their feet in testimony against them and move on to the next place. Jesus instructed them to be who they were, simple and transparent. In humility, they were to pray for conversion of heart, but they were not to compromise sacred truths in order to win anyone's approval. What did success mean for the Apostle Paul? It's hard to imagine how he could have been more prolific, considering the churches he formed and the many writings he produced, and yet even he faced a mysterious obstacle. Some have speculated that it was a temptation against chastity, but no one can say for certain what the thorn in the flesh was that tormented him so. Paul was too modest to elaborate. We can say for certain that spiritual warfare was going on in Paul's heart. His first reaction, and I think it would be the same for most of us, was to ask God to take the affliction away. Just think what more I could accomplish and how smoothly I could carry out my life's work compared to now. The answer Christ gave him is very telling. My grace is sufficient for you. God does not disappear in our trials. Our trials will never be able to take God's love away from us as long as we do not set God aside. Fidelity and perseverance had more to do with St. Paul's success than statistics like the number of miles he traveled or the number of people he met. In one of his letters, he puts it this way, I planted the seed, Apollos, a fellow disciple, watered it, but God causes the growth. Today's readings raise a further question. What does success mean in terms of our life in Christ? God cautioned the prophet Ezekiel in our first reading that the vocation to which God called him would mostly be a tough slog. People whom he expected to be pious and cooperative would turn against him like venomous snakes. Those who were to ally themselves to him most closely would instead come from unexpected places. Ezekiel had to learn fast 
that he could not remove the rebellion and people's hearts with a snap of the fingers. The children of Israel needed to see that he wasn't in it for collecting a paycheck or garnering worldly acclaim. By his standing firm for the ways of God, even at the risk of ridicule, suffering, or death, the nation would have to admit that a prophet was sent among them. In his meekness, the Lord Jesus does not strive to conquer in the sense of overpowering anyone. The real battle he wages is for the human heart, and only loving words and selfless deeds can fight that kind of battle. Once we understand this, we see more clearly why Jesus acted as he did in Nazareth. Amen.